Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is Joshua Khan with your news. The long walk is underway. Just minutes ago, our very own intern, Bo Ren Haley, and 99 other brave young men set out on a journey across Maine and into our hearts. We here at Dairy Public Radio wish Bo Ren the best of luck on this grueling task. May your legs carry you to glory as you join the ranks of some... What? <clears throat> Already? Anyway, good luck to the 99 walkers still on the road. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And Benjamin Graham. What's up, Constant Raiders? Today, we are tackling part two of The Long Walk, covering chapters six through chapter ten, and we have CM leading our discussion. Take it away, CM. To recap our first episode, part one of The Long Walk, 16-year-old Ray Garrity and 82 other boys have walked about 75 miles at a minimum of four miles per hour without rest. 17 boys have gotten their tickets for some reason or another. Some have died of injuries. Some have made a run for it, some have slowed down too many times, and others just gave up. We're only six chapters into the book, and up to this point, most of the boys' deaths have been noted, with the exception of just a few. And they're still people, not just numbers, and their deaths are described to the reader, which I feel like is this book's way of giving meaning to those deaths. But as we cover more miles, the boys begin to crack and things start to feel hopeless and meaningless, and more walkers start to die. And more often than not, not only do we not get their names or how they died, we don't even get their numbers. They're just part of an ever-growing body count, or an ever-dwindling body count, depending on how you look at it. (laughs) Chapter 6 opens with eight more deaths. Only one is named Davidson. That's 25 boys who have received their tickets. Is this like one of the higher body counts in a King book that we've read so far? Definitely one of the higher ones. I mean, I think Carrie's still, I mean, Carrie's like a whole town. That's a good point. But this is probably a pretty high one for everything we've read so far. Well, we know it's going to be 99. (laughs) (laughs) True. (laughs) 99 at minimum. (laughs) Garrity is walking and semi-dozing and imagining getting his ticket, and he comes to pretty disoriented. And he's not around his group of walkers, and he has this moment of panic because he doesn't recognize anyone. I wanted to point this out because this shows us the duality of the relationship that's going on among the walkers. On one hand, you don't want to get too close to anyone because you're basically waiting for everyone around you to die. And on the other hand, they're also keeping each other going, sometimes quite literally. And the nature of the event they're participating in is otherwise so lonely and tragic that they become a source of inspiration and hope to one another. They can't escape the fact that they're out walking each other. The friendship that uh, specifically Garrity and McFreeze have, I think is one of the most fascinating parts of the book. I think Stebbins has it right. Stebbins, of course, is the weird purple pants tree kid. <laughs> oh, purple pants and blue chambray shirt. I think, yeah, we, yes. I think yes. we failed to mention. He really did. Uh, he is walking at the back of the pack alone. I, I think that's the better strategy, don't you? 
Yeah, I really think it is. It I can imagine it's very hard to not form bonds with people. Like I, I know for me, I'm a talker. I talk to strangers all the time. It's just like that's naturally what I would do is is engage with other people. But knowing that getting close to those people would mean losing somebody you know, that's a lot. That's a lot of extra mental weight to carry on you. I think it would be impossible for me not to form relationships with people because if I was helping someone along, even if they weren't helping me, like that would sort of give me focus and purpose, I think. It would keep me going to try to keep other people going. That's an interesting point and uh, something that I want to talk about later once we uh, once we get to it. The what keeps them walking. Okay. Well, it's a recurring thing uh, where Garrity is like, I I don't know why I'm walking. Why am I doing this? I I I don't know why I signed up. Right, and we we find out the I'm trying to remember when it is that like that you they could back out in the first chapter. He says yeah. uh, his mom's like, oh, you can back out, and he's like, nah, the deadline was yesterday. Right, yeah, like so. Not only are they committed to this, but they had. All the time in the world to end it to back out. I think they had like April 15th or something. Mm -hmm. There was some deadline too. Mm -hmm. There was like a first dropout date, and then there was like a, and then there was the second dropout date. And just, but these, the fact that a hundred people, which also means that more than a hundred people would have had to apply because they have to have people for when they drop out, I guess. But yeah, they have to have backups. Yeah. It's interesting because I remember saying last episode, that the boys have gone into this with their eyes open. They all know what's at stake and they know what they're getting into because that's kind of how they come into it. They're, they do seem knowledgeable and aware, mm-hmm. but they're really, you know, like McVries was talking before, I imagined that the first gun would go off and a little flag would come out of the end, not a bullet. They don't really know what they're getting into because they're teenagers and to them, they can't die. They're invincible. They are the stars of their own show. I know I was indestructible when I was 16. Oh, I'm still immortal. (laughs) (laughs) Another boy gets his ticket and Garrity gets a warning and realizes that this time yesterday, he was asleep in the back of a truck on his way to the walk. He was sprawled out on his back. He wasn't moving. He was laying down. And I I felt his yearning and his pain (laughs) in that moment. Have you ever been like... Working out or just walking and you want to get there and you're like, oh, remember earlier when I was in bed? Every (laughs) single day. Every goddamn day. And that kept occurring to me while reading this of there's a few times where people just keep saying, um, one of them just says, you know what I want to do? I want to just walk out into a field and just lay down on my back and stare up at the stars. They're all engaging in this mental self-torture. I felt that, though, like the weighing those. I said it in the first episode that uh, I would rather if I was going to be the winner, I'd rather go out right away because I wouldn't want to put myself through this. So at that point, when you are so far in, you're, you're a day in and only 25 people out of the 100 have gone. I can imagine how sweet the idea of just laying down and letting it happen is. I would really love a like a table or a chart of all the other walks because I kept thinking 
So like, not that I want a lot of these boys to die, but you know, for our main character's sake, I'm like, okay, they need to start dying now. And, <laughs> and 25 is so few mm-hmm. in, in that moment because they're already exhausted and they s- clearly have so much further to go. I'm curious if their group, cause it seems like their group is breaking all these records. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, what a unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. The word <laughs> to, to be a part of the record breaking yeah. year. Yeah. The word comes back that they will definitely pass the main state line. And that's like two days, like at the rate they're walking, that's going to be another two days of walking. And they're all already practically zombies. Yeah. I don't I don't know what I would do knowing that that amount of time was stretched out in front of me. Fuck. That I'm is tired. <laughs> <laughs> you have to walk for at minimum two more days. Now, nah, now nah, I'm done. <laughs> and just laying down. So that comes back to the relationship piece again. Like, are their relationships the thing that's keeping them going in those moments? For some of them, yeah. But I mean, the fact that Stebbins is still there proves that it's not necessary. It's, it is. It's important to the characters. It's important to because those are the kind of people they are. I think that's the important characterization of these people. You you found the characters that need other people, and you find the characters that don't need other people. It's interesting because you said Stebbins doesn't need that, and it makes me wonder what is motivating him that we don't know about yet that is so powerful that he doesn't need that. I am very anxious to find out. <laughs> I'm so I cannot wait to finish this book. Yeah. Garrity watches the sunrise and another boy gets his ticket. And we find out that over two billion dollars gets bet on the long walk every year. What did you guys think of that? I think it goes back to support the hypothesis I made last episode that this dystopian future no longer has things like the Super Bowl or uh the world series like this this is the sport this is the thing this is the entertainment for the year i mean i i don't know how much is bet on major sporting events currently but billions seems like a lot to go into betting on a hundred boys walking this is the part that finally made me get that it made me understand what this world looks like it's so normal. And even I think it was McVries and some of the boys are talking about how when they were in high school, they would place bets on the walkers. So this is a part of their society that they've grown up in thinking that this is just part of life and it's what you do. And so it makes it seem a little more plausible that any of them would even sign up for this in the first place. I mean, if they're betting $2 billion, they're all celebrities, right? I mean, we see that with Garrity. He's he's main zone. There are people lined up on the side of the road screaming his name. Could that play into it? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, for some, that might be enough. That might be the only type of attention like that they're ever going to get. It reminds me of suicide when you're contemplating suicide because you just want that moment to end and you're not thinking about how the next moment after that that might be better is never going to come because you've ended everything. Yeah, and that's a really apt uh, description because uh, McFreeze says later on, this is suicide, uh, just takes longer, mm-hmm. which is brutal. Very brutal. There, there's one thing I want to discuss is uh, you mentioned that this is the end of the first night. I thought the this section, the night, was 
really scary. Yeah, let's talk about that. Uh, so th- this whole first chapter, it's night has fallen and it's dark and it is claustrophobic and you feel the loneliness close in. And Garrity is is terrified of of once the sun comes up, he says he looks back at the night with actual horror that he actually had to make make it through that. And it's the first night. Did you guys get that feeling of this is going to happen again? Well, like, I do now. Do <laughs> <laughs> now I feel really ominous about it. Yeah. It reminded me, we, so we've talked before in different episodes about that, quote, Stephen King moment where, mm. for example, in room 1408, he can make describing the way a door looks terrify you. And this in his description of the night, that was when I was like, yeah, this feels like that Stephen King moment. As close as we're going to get to it in this book, because this is not your like Stephen King horror book. Yeah, it's a Bachman moment. Mm-hmm. The The sensation of walking out of the night. Yeah. Because it's all... It's all behind him. In my mind, I pictured him literally like I pictured it a transition like that. Like, yeah, right back here. It's night. And now it's day. That's, yeah, that's kind <laughs> of how, how I felt that, that he was seeing it is that it was almost like there was no dim light of dawn that on one side of he crossed a threshold and in his mind, it is daylight here. And back there is the pitch black nighttime terror that I just walked through. The boys continue to walk. <laughs> they sure do. They Can't sure laugh every do. Time. All right, come back next week <laughs> for our new episode. Okay, so they're about 80 miles now. And McRee's cracks. And Garrity makes a decision. And uh, I want to talk about that decision because he's already got a warning. Yeah, McVries snaps and sets off to charge the half track, basically. And it, it looks like... I had that moment of like, oh, this is this is it for McVries because you can't just charge these soldiers and and nothing happened. And he oh God, he just spits on the soldiers and they're just standing there issuing him his warnings as he's shouting things at them and, and cursing them and spitting at them. And he gets his third warning. And while Garrity could have just kept going, he and I think Gary Garrity has a warning at this point. Yeah. He gets a second warning because he runs back to McVries and like grabs him and pulls him away and pulls him forward. Like, uh, like he he saved his life, mm-hmm. hands down. He would have McVries would have gotten his ticket. He would not have pulled himself away. There's no, no way. And McVries is not grateful like you might imagine <laughs> he would be. And he tells Garrity that there are no winners. They are all losers. In fact, the last guy. The guy to win, they take him out back and shoot him. And it's just like he's he has hit his bleak moment. McVries, as we find out a little bit later, um, his whole worldview is not just that this is like suicide. They are all actively committing suicide. He says, why are we all doing this? You haven't figured it out, Garrity. We all want to die. That's why. Mm-hmm. Why else would we be doing this? And I can't argue. That's with a fair that. point. Uh, 
so yeah, he he gets saved by Garrity, and he's like, "What the fuck, man? <laughs> like, why would you do that? I was done, and now he's back in it." Mm-hmm. And uh, ugh. the major's coming around again soon. And I thought this part was interesting because Stebbins has some something neat to say about this arrival and how the boys are going to react to seeing the major. Yeah, it's the it's is this the, the first real conversation that Garrity has with Stebbins? Uh, he falls back because he is fascinated with this kid, and uh, Stebbins just knows. Stebbins is like, oh, check it out. There's more soldiers coming. You know what that means? It means the major is coming, which is some really interesting insight that he has, uh, mm-hmm. which I guess might have something to do with the fact that his dad was in the squads, right? Right. Probably, yeah. Uh, so he says, yeah, the major's coming. And Garrity's like, yeah, well, good. Fuck that guy. And he's like, <laughs> no, man. They, everyone's going to cheer him. Like, they don't, they don't hate the major yet. They think they do. And in fact, when the major does show up, literally just drives by waving and then leaves, uh, Garrity cheers. That's insane. Mm-hmm. That is insane. He he feels a shiver of pride uh, just looking at the guy who is uh, essentially murdering them. Yeah, because it's so ingrained in them. And he, even as their feet are hurting and they're dying and they're watching others die and they know that it's likely they'll die too, that's still so a part of them that they can't deny it. They're probably also desperate for something to cheer for. Yeah, something positive. It's like even though when he's not there and like because there's uh, towards the end of where we stopped reading last time and beginning here is when they start like people are telling jokes about like the major like banging the major's grandma. Yeah. And like they're just really stupid not not jokes <laughs> about that. Always the punchline is something about either like banging the major's mom or, or dog or, dog or <laughs> Whatever the case may be, but it, it's it shows that fall from being an icon to to mm. their villain uh, a little bit, and then this this cheering section comes around, and I was like, guys, where was all that? Where's all that hate that you guys had earlier? Like, <laughs> come on, let him let him know about it. All right. A few hours later, a boy named Yannick gets his ticket. And everybody's starting to get cranky at this point. I mean, like, more, more cranky. <laughs> that is Nose an understatement. <laughs> biggest understatement. Uh. The boys are displeased <laughs> with the situation at hand. Oh, boy, I mean, things, been... things are just really coming to a head. Garrity and a boy named Parker have a little spat. Oh, okay, <laughs> I need your help. Um <laughs> What is a big drugstore cowboy Saturday night tough guy leather jacket hero? That's what Gary that's calls a, Parker. That's Holly Parker. pretty straightforward to me. Yeah, uh, he's the Fonz. He's <laughs> he's one of the T birds. Like, isn't isn't the Fonz like a, a guy you like a good guy? If you like. Uh, drugstore heroes. What the fuck does he call it? <laughs> well, he calls him. It, it's like through a series of, you know, he's kind of ranting. So it's not all in one thing. Mm-hmm. But first he calls him a big drug, a big drugstore cowboy Saturday night tough guy. And then he refers to him as a 
leather jacket hero. Yeah, is he a just, greaser? Is he yeah, like he Billy? Is, yeah, and- he is a greaser. <laughs> <laughs> They're all over the place. Yeah, well, and and I wonder if that description is more uh, not that is what he is, but that's what he wants to look like. Like it's somebody dressing like they're a tough guy as opposed to being a tough guy. It was just a strange string of words put together. I, I thought you guys would really enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> I, actually, I feel like I've described things like that when I have not slept for a day and some change. Oh, yeah. I guess maybe he's a little. <laughs> yeah, that actually starts happening a few times that people just start speaking in like weird asides like people will just like yell something that doesn't really make any sense yeah they're sleep deprived yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right harkness gets a cramp in his foot and we have a tense scene where it seems like he's gonna get his ticket did you guys think that he was gonna buy it at that moment because i i was like oh man he's not gonna finish that book (laughs) I i really felt for him he doesn't though and garrity is relieved because harkness is part of his group a, he describes it as like a magic circle. And if and what one of them dies, of? a katat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that circle can be broken. And if part of that circle can be broken, any part of it can be broken. They're all up for grabs. It's that last line of invincibility. Mm-hmm. Like none of their people, even though Olsen is basically a, a zombie and a shambling corpse at this point, he's still uh, hanging on. And I think everyone thought of that group uh, that Olsen would be the the first to go because mm-hmm. he's in such a, a bad way. But that that scene, the the fact that he he gets his warnings and then he describes hearing like the, he can hear the the guns raising and lowering on Harkness over and over as he's on his third warning and he keeps getting so close mm-hmm. that was terrifying to me like the idea uh, imagine like being harkness and you know if everybody else is keyed into hearing it yeah i'm yeah. sure he was pretty keyed in and on you it don't too. know how many seconds away you are from those guns firing right and because you, you can only you can only pick up the pace for so long especially when you're at that end and you have a, a massive cramp in your foot and walking in only one shoe because you can't stop put your other shoe back on yeah Chapter seven, we meet Scram. Let's talk about Scram. Scram? <laughs> instantly my favorite character in this this middle section, which is insane. Uh, it's another one that just, God, another one of those like king characters that comes out of nowhere. And I'm like, this fucking dude's great. He's fucking stupid. <laughs> he almost seems like a character in a different book. Yeah. Because he's just instantly the most likable dude. He's just so affable and uh, easygoing. And the only one who maybe not like mentally, because we find out he has a wife and a baby on the way, but at least physically the smartest one of the group of of all these hundred boys, because he's walked 80 miles Mm -hmm. nonstop. Like he is prepared. He is ready. He knows that his feet, his legs, his mind can handle it. Yeah, he he. We find out. Uh, we start by hearing that Scram is married. Garrity is blown away that this guy is married. He's like, "Yep, uh, dropped out of high school, married my sweetheart. She she finished school. 
uh, and uh, she got pregnant, and you know we're we're doing it. And uh, you know when I win, maybe we'll move to Maine. <laughs> <laughs> and Garrett oh god, I don't like that. Blown away that someone would join the walk in this situation, and I agree. For as dumb as he is, <laughs> as, I guess as as simple minded and and maybe not bookstart smart, but maybe street smart in a way, he makes a pretty fair assessment of some of the other boys, including Garrity. Mm-hmm. It will, and you know what? Simple is, is I think the as right. Simple does. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> no, he his philosophy is simple. That he is he's the the odds on favorite in Vegas, he mentions that he, he knows he's the odds on favorite and that, uh, the reason that he knows he's going to win is because he's, he's motivated. He knows his motivation. He knows what he's here for. And that the other people either don't know or the, their motives aren't enough. And that is objectively likely not true, Hmm. but to him, that simple philosophy of, Oh, I just, it, it boils down to the, I want it more. And so I'll get it. And this might lead into what I, what I referenced earlier is what keeps these guys walking. And I want to know what you guys think about this because the book seems to be setting up that the prevailing philosophy is Stebbins. Stebbins philosophy is what keeps you walking has to be internal does that make sense yeah it, it kind of goes with because garrity scrams you know kind of talking about why he thinks each of the boys are here he's assessing their motivation and gary's like who do me next to me and he's like, <laughs> <laughs> i mean maybe he wasn't that excited but scram reluctantly says oh, okay and he's like you don't know why you're here you don't know what's motivating you but right now fear is motivating you and that's not enough mm-hmm. it can't be this it has to be like this special combination of things. And it seems like none of our characters that we have this insight into understand or know what that thing is or possess it yet. Except for maybe Olsen. Uh, see, I think well, we'll talk more about Olsen. Yeah. But we he's might get to that he's withdrawn in him. He, I think his withdrawal is his, his plan. You know, everybody says, oh, I got a plan. <laughs> I'm getting these three warnings now because I got a plan. I got this first warning right off the bat because I got a plan. I think Olsen is, I don't know if that was his intended plan, but I think that's his defense mechanism. He's shutting out the pain. He's shutting out the other people. He's shutting out taking care of himself, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But he's just one foot in front of the other, like a zombie, like you said. So the boys are talking about death and not wanting to die, even though... They're not sure why they're there or what's going to keep them from dying. And a boy up ahead has a seizure. And the soldiers give his seizing body its warnings. And then he gets his ticket. Rules are rules, man. Uh, Rules are rules. On the one hand, I feel like I'd rather go that way. Just give my unconscious body the warnings and then the (laughs) ticket. And on the other hand, it's so sad because it's like they, they can't do anything about that. No amount of will or physical prowess is going to get them up mm-hmm. when they're having a medical thing happening right. to them. It, it's just like people earlier who, who get cramps. Like they, they didn't anticipate that sometimes this happens and uh, he just had a cramp in his brain. 
And that's, yeah. that's all it is. It's cramp in his brain. That's such a, <laughs> is that your medical? Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's my, that's my medical diagnosis. <laughs> oh, that's a good old-fashioned brain cramp. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Gribble getting his ticket. <laughs> I All right, going into this moment, I was like, I will bet anything CM tries to just gloss over Gribble and does not want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I specifically have a note on it because it it Is makes insane? me so sick. No, I Okay, let let's describe what he does. What to happens? Uh, yeah. The boiled down version of what happens is that Gribble there's spectators and there is a a female kind of splayed out like wanting him to come over so he runs over takes all three of his warnings to like make out with a girl who is 100% wanting to bone yeah super uh, like she's got like her her legs like he, locked around humping. him they're dry humping yeah. and like when he goes to pull away she almost like doesn't let go and he like breaks free and runs back and mm. he's like super proud of himself and then he gets a a, a cramp in his crotch <laughs> that right there is a uh, no I can't do it <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it just drops to his knees and, and catches a bullet like pretty much right afterwards like <laughs> so the reason that this upset me <laughs> go on it, it, it's a combination of so the girl's behavior because they just wanted a thrill and what she did basically led to his death and mm-hmm. she doesn't care about that. She's you know, a real she, Barkovich. Yeah, she yeah. got her thrill. She got to hump a walker, and she can tell that story for weeks or months, probably. And to her grandkids, be really popular. Yeah, to her grandkids. <laughs> but this boy, all these boys, they're so desperate for even just a quick moment of physical comfort. They have all been reduced to their base survival instincts: food, water, reproduction. So he sees her ready and willing and it's like he cannot help himself and even Garrity Garrity in thinking about this moment this is a part that really got me Jesus Christ yeah. I forgot about yeah. this yeah. until just now Garrity is is reimagining her thighs like quivering when Gribble is grinding up against her and he uh, just watched Gribble like get his head blown off and he has an orgasm while walking just the thought of that physical contact <laughs> my the, i my the note i made i did not put any more detail in it i just wrote about gribble and then i wrote oh man <laughs> and i knew immediately that, that oh man was that moment i <laughs> i i don't even know if i have anything to say about that we it's have just to talk about insane <laughs> there's a part of this book where a guy dies with a boner and then our main character creams his jeans. It's crazy. And we can laugh about it and it's awkward and it's disturbing, but it's also just, like I said, I mean, they're all, they're all pure instinct and nothing else. Yeah. Well, it's Garrity has turned Jan into uh, something bigger than she is. She's a mm-hmm. totem at this point. Yes, and and so part of that is uh, that projection is thinking about her, that that girl, and then bringing that into his own life. Like how much he would want to have that moment with Jan, and might have made the same decision. And 
I feel like biologically spot on. Nailed it. Like it it's it's putting his attention somewhere else and into yeah. his well, pants. Into well, his pants. <laughs> I mean, I and it's I think of it this way, your your body's dying, basically. They're all in the process of dying and the body's just making you do those okay, we gotta reproduce, we gotta eat, we gotta drink. Yep. All those things. All right. Yeah. So the boys keep walking. Harkness gets his ticket, and the circle is broken, and Scram starts to get a cold, and Olsen starts begging the soldiers to let him rest. Six more miles, and they're going to make 100 miles. The largest group of walkers to make 100 miles is 63 walkers, and that's less than our group right now. So we have 69, so they're on their way to set another record. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Olsen begging those soldiers. <sighs> Understandable, but God, that's embarrassing for who that character started out yeah. as. Like, that is a, a very big, like, how the mighty have fallen uh, character moment because he started this so confident and, and kind of larger than life and to see him reduced to begging just mm. was rough. Olsen started out as this supremely confident character. And then he became what we see before him. The same chapter that we are introduced to Scram, mm-hmm. the extremely confident character who thinks he's going to win, who is positive of his uh, ability to win. And already Scram has the cold. I am thinking ahead and imagining Scram being reduced to what Olsen is now. Oh, I don't like that thought because I like Scram. Yeah. (laughs) It's what they all will become. I mean, if you walk long enough, you either die or how deep can you go? Something is going to bring them down. Let's talk about what brings down Percy. His hubris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was waiting for someone to do it. Percy, they they all notice that Percy is kind of eyeballing the, the trees in the distance. Uh, and they can they can tell that he looks like he's going to make a break for it. And first of all, if the other walkers can tell that you're looking like you're going to make a break for it, <laughs> I'm pretty sure the trained soldiers that's job is to watch you have noticed but they don't a- appear to be keeping an eye on him even though a- as a reader i don't know how you guys felt i knew he wasn't fooling anybody right there's yeah. there's no way yeah, especially since everyone is like hey look <laughs> hey percy's gonna run yeah. <laughs> uh, and and boy howdy does he go he takes off and uh they they shoot him uh, just one shot, just as he reaches the edge of the wood, bam, down. Yeah. And he I, doesn't get warnings because that's breaking the rules. Right. He ran. I loved this segment. It is just uh, uh, one of those brilliant pieces of writing that uh, are are throughout King's work. The way it's described, he just as he steps over the line into the woods, he makes it one step. And he is shot. And Garrity, the time slows down. And there's this three-second window 
where Garrity sees this perfect tableau of Percy standing stock still, grabbing his chest as blood seeps through his fingers, juxtaposed with the the soldiers standing on the half track, uh, all um, angular and like statuesque. And I just thought that was a really amazing moment that was almost, almost beautiful. Yeah, I felt that too. It was, he describes a boy's death and makes it, it makes you feel something beautiful in it. Yeah. Something that's not, you know, that's just harsh and sad. And the first thing I thought of, though, was about Percy's mom. Oh, yeah, because like, she's been coming she's through. Been, she's shown up like three or four times and yelling at him every time. And I mean, I knew he was going to go sooner or later. Mm. And my only hope was that he didn't go in front of her. Yeah. Like that was like where my head thought it was going to go. Because King's a jerk sometimes. That would have been a cheap shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been a real cheap shot. That that was, yeah, the first thing that clicked. Because also, I mean, the, with this character, the one thing that we knew about him was his mom. So yeah, that just that was the first thing that popped in my head. And I was like, oh, that's and, not going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's very sad later on in the story when... Uh, she comes she, looking for she him. She comes looking for him and is not there. God. The boys continue to walk. And they come across a truck driver who's pretty upset because their walk has interfered with his route. And he is stopped on the side of the road waiting for them to pass. And I only mention that because this is where we get a little more insight into Garrity's father. That was so stupid, though. <laughs> like, because... I felt their rage when he flips them off. And they're like, why did he have to do that? I yeah. was like, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, can we all get a warning for going and fucking up that driver? Because <laughs> the, the, Garrity then mentions that the route everybody knows the route the route's been marked for a long time they knew what date all of this stuff would close down if you're a truck driver and you drive a truck for a living you should know better like this is on you for getting stuck this isn't our fault for walking at the pace we have to walk and being here at this time you're the fuck up dude <laughs> and it, it segues into Garrity uh, talking about that his dad was a truck driver and that's one of the reasons that he knows that this guy should have known better and and but he's probably trying to make some sort of deadline and this was the shortest route right yeah and he also implies that his dad got squatted because he was politically outspoken which i think we kind of talked about before mm-hmm. but yeah. we get a little more confirmation of that we also find out that baker was in a gang a super racist gang and yeah. he's he's ashamed of his past and maybe that's why he's here maybe he's punishing himself so Leading up to this, um, Garrity is, we, we find out a little more about his dad being politically outspoken, and we learn a little more about the squads and the the government as a whole. Uh, they're talking about how people get squatted, mm-hmm. and I think there's an argument where one guy is like, oh, only an idiot gets squatted because they Parker. talk about <laughs> They talk about their political leanings out loud and they deserve to be disappeared. And like, it's this horrible, like, Jesus Christ, how terrifying to live in this dystopian dictatorship. And then this character, well, which Baker Baker is like, yeah, 
back in my old life, I was part of the clan, basically. <laughs> and yeah. uh, we, we burned a cross on a black guy's yard. God. And I believe someone says, wow, uh, you were a part of a hate group. That's a squattable offense. Uh, so the only thing we know about this horrible dictatorship is they uh perform this horrible death march and they're anti-racist wait no is like, it because what? they were part of a hate group or because they were part of a gang and they didn't want people banning together in, in well, a gang the only violence allowed is government regulated right. violence so no no they so, don't want people banning together for any purpose. I I guess it just it it's just still not awesome. me that I'm like <laughs> yeah. I thought they were uh, okay. they that were does make coming sense. down on gangs because yeah, pe- they don't want people united. Yeah, no organized groups of people. Yeah. Well, they probably don't care you know, just, if they're racist. It's problematic <laughs> that they're like, oh well, the one group that that was uniting was, was racists. Uh, can can we have like uh couldn't have had a character that was like yeah i was a part of a revolutionary group that was fighting back against the government or well no those people would have been killed immediately that's garrity's dad he was squatting yeah (laughs) yeah i guess as baker was talking about this that's what came to my mind he his shame of his past. And he had said he felt really bad about burning the cross. And that's when he got out of the gang. So I'd kind of wondered, okay, we, maybe this is his purpose. This is what's motivating him. Some level of atonement, Mm -hmm. like putting himself through this. Well, still fuck that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Another boy gets his ticket and there are more spectators. And it's the whole process just now is beginning to disgust Garrity. And he and McReese have a conversation about how they're there, the spectators are there to see walkers die. And about how all the walkers are dumb for being there and dumb for thinking they know why they're there and that they thought they could make it to the end. And Stubbins interjects and tells them, that's when he says, you're all here because you want to die. Why else would you be here? Not wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a fair argument. They, they know going into it, that's how it ends. So now we're at chapter eight, and two more boys get their tickets. That's 36 total, and we're at 99 miles. McReese, this is interesting, he drops his empty, they get, their rations are like... Um, like tubes? Yeah, like, tube, like concentrate, chicken oh, concentrate, ugh. tuna concentrate, okay, space bacon. Food. <laughs> Anybody else... The, the, did you guys think well, like I'd be out immediately because I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't you, eat a tube you know of me meat and paste? Food, so yes. <laughs> so he drops his empty chicken concentrate tube, and the spectators scramble for it, and it becomes a souvenir. Even when they have to go to the bathroom, they have to poop. That becomes a souvenir. And Garrity asks McReese if he could do it all over again. Would he participate in the walk? And <laughs> Dumbest question <laughs> yeah, ever. Pete has a very reasonable, insane response. Essentially, hell no. <laughs> yeah, he's like, are, are you fucking kidding me? Like, what the hell? No. <laughs> the boys continue to walk, and something happens to Garrity when they come up on another crowd. He comes in his pants again. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, in a way. Yeah, Kali Parker. Like, everybody's waving and being friendly, and he's he's coming up on Kali Parker, who's waving and smiling, but he's saying all these horrible insults under his breath. And it just, it strikes Garrity and he goes into 
a laughing fit. He starts to have hysterics. This is how I die. Yeah. This is how I die on the walk. (laughs) (laughs) Laughing so hard I can't walk. And if he wasn't our main character, this is when I would have thought for sure that he was going to get his ticket. Yeah. He gets a warning because he starts laughing and, and like doubles over. And he's like trying to pull himself together, but it's just too funny. And he gets another warning. And so I think, was that his second or his third? Because I know, I think he walked off He gets off three one. warnings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, so he, he gets his third warning. And McVries has to like grab him and pull him along, kind of like how Garrity helped him earlier. And uh, makes like slaps him out of it. Like, just, like tells him to pull his shit together because... If he doesn't, he is done. And mm-hmm. McVries also gets a warning for uh, for stopping or for slowing down enough to help pull him along. Um, and Garrity like starts to catch his breath a little bit, like he he's out of the hysterics. But then he like starts seeing spots, and he's like, "Oh, I'm I'm gonna faint." And then, <laughs> like this this is it. This is how I go. And then here's a gunshot, and pulls his focus, and is like. It wasn't me. All right. Yeah. <laughs> There's that split second of, oh, fuck, am I dead right now? Yeah. Yeah. It was a boy named Morgan who got his ticket instead of Garrity. Garrity and Stebbins talk, and we learn that once they hit Augusta, there's continuous TV coverage of the walk. Garrity's walking with three warnings, and it doesn't scare him the way that he expected it would. Despite watching so many others die, there's a big part of him that still at this point doesn't believe that he can die. He's still the star of the Ray Garrity show. Garrity and McVries start to talk about what McVries did when a redheaded boy starts to scream. And he starts screaming, don't hurt me. He starts screaming for his mom. He starts screaming that his feet hurt as the half track runs over his legs. God, that and, was brutal. Yeah, and they they still give him his fi- you know, he doesn't have legs. He can't get up to walk at yep. this point. They're crushed. They still give him his final warning. Those are the rules. And then he gets his ticket. The robotic nature of the soldiers makes them really terrifying mm-hmm. villains because they're almost not even villains. They're just a force of nature basically. They are. They can't be reasoned with or pleaded with. Yeah, they are uh, not human entirely. They are just death. This is their job, and they are going to do it. And nothing you say or do is going to change anything. It's the terrifying solidity of the rules. I guess that there, there's just no, there's no wiggle room. There's no room for interpretation in any way. These are cut and dry rules of life and death mm-hmm. and nothing you do will change it even getting your legs run over by a half track so here we find out how mcvries got his scar and if there's any problem i have in the book Holy it is with this story yup uh because i believe last episode i said that mcvries was my favorite character not anymore holy god <laughs> not after this yeah, we basically find out that he so he had a he and his girlfriend moved to the city to get jobs mm-hmm. and she's making more money than him. She's, you know, a pretty girl kind of put in this more comfortable position and makes good money and he's 
doing this hard job and he's not really good at this manual labor and all the other guys are getting on him because he's slowing up the production line and this is just causing problems in their relationship and he basically tries to rape her one night yeah, and I she would, cuts his face. I would argue, yeah, that it wasn't basically try. He, well, yeah, he definitely tried he to. He tries rape her. to rape this girl, and he pl- the the he tells this story in, and, and I can't fault the writing because it's told in a way that. A piece of shit would tell this story. Yeah, like it. This he never isn't takes my blame. fault. Yeah, he yeah. excuses his actions. This yeah. is, uh, you know, she she made she made me feel like a loser. Well, she, she made me feel like a failure. So, and asking him how could he do this to her? How could he hurt her for trying to rape her? Yeah, when he's bleeding, it's like she should have cut his head off. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he after after he yells at her and tells her. I'm moving back home. You come with me. And she's like, no, like you're being a huge asshole. Um, I'm not doing that. He then says, uh, I I tried to take her to bed. And so she cut my face open with a letter opener. And it's, it's said in such a way of like, can you believe that? And it's like, (laughs) okay, okay, hold on. You did not try to take her to bed. People do not cut open other people's faces for trying to take someone to bed. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't understand what things are. Like, you fucking rapist piece of shit. And then he justifies it by saying, you know, she's just, she's mental, man. Always has been yeah. something. She gets it from her Ugh. mother. She's always yeah. obsessed with money. No. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. All right. So that's that so was much. a rough one. So Stebbins is my favorite character in the book. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. Well, uh, now, th- this could just be wild speculation uh, for me, but do you think that part of that story of giving him something so terrible to make us like him less because everybody's got to die? Like, if like if there's, I don't, I don't know, like putting some massive character detail that makes us not feel so bad when he dies. I thought, I thought of it in a crueler way, more of like a, Oh, you made me really like this character. And as soon as I let my guard down, you taught me that lesson of, you don't really know people. That's very true. Yeah. I I feel like, uh, King's writing is Bachman is just, I, I don't think it was that calculated. I think it's just, I've described Bachman books as mean books before. There are no good guys. They're way bleaker. And I think it was just a matter of like, hey, this guy's a piece of shit because everyone's kind of a piece of shit. This is who this guy's been all along. You just didn't see that. Yeah. Yeah. The boys continue to walk. They've gone 115 miles. And in 90 minutes, no one has died. Then around noon, five boys get their tickets. Two of sunstroke, one of seizures the other of cramps, and another for reasons that we didn't even get. I'm sorry, brain cramps? But, I believe you meant to you or, meant to say. Or crotch cramps. Or crotch cramps. <laughs> Sounds so good. Have you, either of you guys ever had sunstroke? Yeah. It's not yeah. fun. No. You, and you, it, it's not something you can just like, oh, I'm going to power through this. Yeah, yeah, no, no. You get the heat stroke, you're down. Yeah. So Olsen isn't, and he's already not been looking good, but it's getting worse. And a boy in a green vest gets his ticket. So we keep getting these images of Olsen, and then a different boy gets his ticket. And I just thought that was interesting. 
Garrity sees another ghost. This one Italian holding watermelon. What are you talking about? A ghost. It's a real person, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) How many times have I told you not everyone's a ghost? This is a fun scene because this Italian vendor shows up and he thinks he's going to give the boys watermelon. And as we know by this point, the spectators cannot give anything to the walkers. And when he finds out that he can't give them watermelon, all hell breaks loose. And I was like, yeah, you go, Italian ghost. (laughs) (laughs) That was pretty awesome. And like all the kids, all the, the walkers like running up and like grabbing what they can get while the... The soldiers drag this dude away. Yeah, and he, like, he makes a run for them. He leaps, and the soldiers, I imagine, like, in my head, I see this sort of cartoonish or really crazy action movie scene where they leap for him, and they grab his ankles, and he comes crashing to the ground, and all the watermelon he had in his arms just just goes out yeah. to the boys, flies out of his arms, Yakety and they each... starts playing. <laughs> <laughs> but they each get a piece of watermelon, except... Stubbins. It's because he doesn't need, need any. It. Yeah. All right. The boys have walked 120 miles Jesus. and it's hot that afternoon, but the rain is coming and it's going to be a huge storm. Unfortunately for them, this is just another thing that kind of like got me. The wind is not at their back. It is blowing into them. And imagine how much easier it would be to walk if you had that wind just kind of pushing you along. Two more boys get their tickets And then the temperature drops, and the hail comes, and the rain comes, and the rain doesn't stop for the rest of the day. 8 p.m. comes, and they're still walking in that weather. It's crazy that they they do this time lapse. Like, it's been going, like, the, the time has been passing pretty steadily. And then it starts raining. And that's all we hear about for the rest of the day. Yeah, we jump forward to the night. It really, like, hammers home this idea of, like, it's raining and it's so terrible that it blots out. It blots out everything else mm-hmm. because they're just wet and miserable. And it's not even like cooled down. It's you can just imagine it being that like humid. Well, awful, and it's sticky. Feeling. No, it's cold, though. It's spring. And so there's still that it can be hot in the day and then something changes and all of a sudden you're it's like 40 degrees and you're freezing. Yeah. Two more boys get their tickets, and they get their tickets because they just faint. That's all that happens. And later, a boy named Benham is the 50th walker to get his ticket. Everybody thought it was going to be Olsen, but it was this boy, Fenham. So there are 50 left. They've walked over 120 miles, and they're getting closer to parts of Maine that Garrity is familiar with. And Stubbins tells him that he thinks that that's his edge because this is his land. Garrity notices, I thought this was cool, The Stubbins is wearing moccasins. He brought <laughs> <Yeah>. moccasins <laughs> okay. This is something, at some point, Stubbins has changed from his tennis shoes, which are now tucked into his pants, into moccasins. <laughs> How the fuck do you change your shoes while walking four miles an hour? You get a warning, man. There's you got 30 seconds. He doesn't get a warning, though, because isn't there some part later in the book where he gets another warning and it's only his second warning at all oh. for the whole walk? I I guess not. I don't know. So, but yeah, it's uh, there's there are several things in this book that I'm like, 
No, you you can't do that either while walking <laughs> or within thirty seconds. The multiple times people shit. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I have never once in my life shit in less than a minute. Impossible. But, Physically impossible. But Ben, they're eating tubes of concentrated well, food. Okay, good point. So Yeah, man, you should try to eat they, some tubes. And, <laughs> <laughs> to really you help you out in the bathroom. can't make me. But maybe that's part of why they get that food in that form. <laughs> to give them quicker shits? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Sure. Otherwise, the walk <laughs> would be over in like five hours. <laughs> All right, so we're we're coming to the end here. They come up on a hill, and Garrity thinks that this hill is going to be where he gets his ticket. Because his legs are such that he feels like they're going to just collapse under him. And then he hears people chanting his name. Old Town High School has come to cheer him on. He doesn't get a ticket but I would argue he, maybe with the help of Stubbins intentionally, perhaps, Garrity helps Olsen get his. Oh, that? Oh, I loved that. And the worst death of the book. Man, I, I thought that was a real calculated thing by Stebbins. Maybe, again, maybe I'm, I'm reading too I much into that too. character. Like, that he's <laughs> I didn't just even like, think of that. Because he's just like talking to Garrity and he's like, yeah, Olsen, Olsen's got a plan, man. He's he's doing it. What what he's he could he could win this basically. He's like putting it in Garrity's head that like he's got the secret and he's never going to stop. So if you find out what that secret is, I mean, you, you can probably win this and you just got to go find out what he's doing. And Garrity like bothers him so much. Basically, like is trying to like get him to to come he forward. breaks him out of that state that he's put himself into that kind of protection against the walk and the world yep. and what's happening and then th- what i feel happened is that reality came crashing back in on olsen oh, all yeah. the pain all the despair all the hopelessness pulled him out of the safe place he was in mm-hmm. and then all the hell he's been through came rushing out see that's interesting because i think stebbins was being sincere I, really? Yes. This is this is the part where I've made several uh, allusions to how deep are you? How? Because that is what will determine who wins. Who can go the deepest and keep going? And Olsen his, is way deep in there. You see, my thought was that Stebbins was a little afraid of Olsen because he was running on empty for so long and that a part of Stebbins was like, I'm going to have to outwalk this guy who is so deep in, in auto on in autopilot. I don't know that he'll stop. And so he got Garrity to fix that problem. No, I did not think that at all. I see. And I know what's going to happen. Fall, <laughs> I fall more. Yeah, we could take bets. I'm willing to throw down. <laughs> no, I fall more into kind of what Josh said only be and I want to feel the way about it that you do Ben because I think that's a more interesting story and it's more beautiful and heartfelt but thinking about how Stubbins he's had this sort of cynical attitude or maybe not even maybe that's not the right way to put it but he just what we've gotten of him so far his personality it that fit right in with me so yeah Olsen's death that's a horrible scene 
And oh, with it coming, we we've seen this coming for so long. And when it comes, you don't not like this, not like mm. this. This blew my mind. So uh, Olson is now just back, and he's fully uh, back in the world. He's outside of himself. He's back in the world, and he loses his mind. He runs over to the half track and starts climbing in. And the soldiers are like going to like rifle butt him to knock him out, like knock him out of the the half track. And he starts grabbing the guns out of the soldiers hands and just throwing them and trying to pull soldiers out of the half track. Like he is out for blood and the soldiers, the soldiers shoot him twice, knocking him off the half track and he lands on his back. Then he gets up. They shoot him again. He falls flat. He gets up again and starts walking, holding his intestines inside him. You can see... Not very successfully. Not very successfully. They are slipping through his stomach as he's trying to walk, but he will not stop walking. They shoot him again, and he falls to the ground, and he continues to get back up and starts walking again and he he gets shot again and he he finally goes down and Garrity runs to him and is just holding his head and he he gets a warning for for stopping and McVreeze runs back and grabs him and McVreeze gets another warning and pulls him away because the, you can't help Olsen but that sight was so horrific garrity couldn't just walk away from that he gets up one more time olsen does and he raises his hands to the sky and he shouts i did it wrong for those to be his dying words that made perfect sense to olsen oh yeah well he he's when you said he lost his mind i think that's very literal it did make me want to know what his plan was if he executed if he executed his plan wrong (laughs) like that's (laughs) I think he did because he died. Yeah, that, yep, that <laughs> yeah, is, right. definitely that is very true. Garrity and McVries talk about how trivial it all is. And that brings us to the end of part two. Well, our part two of The Long Walk. Well, that's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode for part three as we cover the rest of The Long Walk. For Benjamin Graham and CM Alexander, I'm Joshua Kahn reminding you that they're animals all right. But why are you so goddamn sure that makes us human beings? Hey everyone, Sam Alexander here. Thanks for listening to The Long Walk Part 2. There's an awesome video someone made of The Long Walk on YouTube. The creator is Richard Boylan, and we'll share it on our Facebook so you can check it out. I'm going to keep it short and sweet today. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Dairy Public Radio or Twitter at Dairy Public. You can also email us at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.